This is one of my favorite winemakers, Carmen Stevens. My Shiraz is vibrant. It's quite fruity. I back her through NakedWines.com, where I pay less per bottle because I'm buying directly from the winery. NakedWines.com backs the world's best winemakers. And because I'm buying directly from their website, I'm saving money. Thanks, Carmen. You're welcome. I used to pay $30 for a comparable bottle. <laughs> now I pay $15. Cheers. Get $100 off your first order. Go to NakedWines.com get100. Voted number one wine club in America. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Exclude sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See Metro by T-Mobile.com. Welcome back, agents. Before we get into today's episode, we wanted to tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast comfortably from your own phone or computer. You can also record with friends or on your own. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so you can have your show heard on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimal listenership. And it's everything you need to make your own podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Now, let's get on with the episode. What's up, agents? Welcome back to the Fangirl Files podcast. I'm Sabrina. I'm Madison. And today we're going to be investigating heroes, villains, and anti-heroes. But first, I actually have a question for you. If you were a part of your own world, would you be a hero, villain, or anti-hero? That's actually a very interesting question that I don't know the answer to. I feel like I feel like I don't have the conventional science to be here. I'd probably be an anti-hero that like develops a moral compass. Oh yeah, but like at the same time, I think it would be fun as f- to be a villain. Yeah, villains have more fun. They really do. Like mm-hmm. one of the villains I'm going to talk about, she definitely has a lot of fun. But, like, realistically, I'd probably be the anti-hero. Yes. Yeah. What about you? Probably a villain or an anti-hero. Because, as you said, I feel like a lot of the heroes are supposed to represent, are supposed to uphold societal expectations. Whereas, like, villains are more so about the way that they're categorized is supposed to be othering certain people who who Mm -hmm. sort of deviate from those societal expectations. And so I feel like... I feel like a lot of my life has been dedicated to, like, tearing down those societal expectations, so I'd definitely be a villain. Yeah, so, like, I think we did this episode a while back for those of you who followed The Caffeinated Artist, which sucked, and... No! Thank you for indulging me! No, it's better with you here now. It's not... It's all better now. No. Because that was my most popular episode, was when you came on. Really? Yeah. I feel like that's because it's family members, though. Like, my family members watched it. Or oh, really? maybe they did. I don't know. I don't, if they're not listening now, I don't know if they listen. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't think they... I don't even think they hit subscribe. Neither one of our family members have. But, yeah, we did this episode before. And we had to take it down because we wanted to rebrand everything for uh, Fangirl Files. Hmm. And now we're here again. And it's a little more organized than last time, I think. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect, though, because that was my first time on a podcast. Yeah, nor did I because I like really wasn't good at recording without a person there. Because I feel like I had more of an on-topic episode with you there. Hmm. So I guess on that note, 
we will get started with heroes. And we should say that we divided this up into um, stereotypical genders. So we have male heroes, anti-heroes, and villains. And then we have female heroes, anti-heroes, and villains. Well, we tried. So, guys, unfortunately, I know it looks like from our demographic, like, that a good chunk of our audience is female. Yeah. And um, we just want to say that we worked our hardest to kind of get good representation on our favorite side for females, but there really, unfortunately, isn't a lot to work with. Yeah. Because we were talking about it, and we were like, there are female heroes, like, in the MCU and everything, but it's very hard to connect with a lot of those heroes because, like, take Black Widow, for example, she is viewed more as a sex symbol than a hero when, in reality, she's pretty badass. So you don't feel connected to her. Mm. And, like, should we address the video stuff now that we just watched? Yeah, I would. Okay. So, I showed Madison a few minutes ago, in my female action hero class, we at one point were shown videos from BuzzFeed of women posing as classic comic book heroes, like female comic book heroes, and they had all said, my body will never look like this, I can't bend that way, they're so unrealistically drawn, Mm -hmm. they felt demeaned and horrible about themselves, and then conversely, we watched another one of their videos where... Women posed as their favorite superheroes, but male superheroes. Mm -hmm. And in those photos where they got to put on the costume and get put on a movie poster in the same pose, they all talked about feeling empowered and beautiful and strong and like they could do anything. Mm -hmm. And so that just shows that there's so much underrepresentation of strong female characters in the media. I would even argue complex female characters because I oh, feel yeah. like a lot of representations are so focused on we're strong and we're powerful due to our struggles rather than like we're actual complex beings as complex as the male characters are because it's so gender focused. And it's like, I want more female heroes, don't get me wrong, but I want them to be as complicated and with better arcs that the male characters get. And do you notice that their arcs primarily center around men? Exactly, yeah. I guess Nats doesn't center on men. Not well, Hulk, though. Like, that's true. They they forced her arc around a man. It wasn't meant to be centered around that, but, like, she mm-hmm. has this whole emotional development because of her romance with Bruce, which, like, hot topic, we hate, by the way, because, ew. Yeah. But, like, sorry, Mark Ruffalo, we love you. But, um, still, disgusting. Yeah. So, like, all female hero relationships are centered on men, like, Wonder Woman 1984, I expected it to be this awesome film. And instead it was like, how can I get Steve back? Like, how can he come back? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of disgusting. I just, that movie sucked its own dick with, like, female representation. Because you had that scene where Cheetah, she was harassed by that one drunk guy. And then she sees him in the alley again and she beats him up. And I'm like, we all have had fantasies of that happening, but it felt pandering to just... It also felt very forced. It yeah. Was like, it wasn't even like a natural thing. It was just kind of like, hey, and she just kind of punched him out. Yeah. And again, like, it's too centered around the struggles that women face. Because the reason why the first Wonder Woman was so good is because, as you said, it felt more natural. And we could see Wonder Woman within, like, her own arc developing as this badass woman and it wasn't because she was a woman it was because she was so empowered and able to do a lot of the things that men did and in the first soul she wanted to get back to her people and protect her people and then it became protecting the man she loved yeah it wasn't fully focused on that Mm -hmm. and so 
due to that, we are very sorry, but we don't have too much on the female front for you, but we do have a couple of things. So on that front, favorite male hero. My first one is Batman, and that's obvious. Batman's been a huge part of my life since I was, like, a little girl. And I remember watching Justice League, the animated series, and he just has... You can tell the other members respect him so much, and not because he's, like, trying to earn their respect, but because... He's this like hardworking, intelligent, versatile, independent man. And I think in a way I sort of wanted that respect from my peers. Um, and over time I sort of started developing traits that Batman had, which is kind of weird. Like I can relate to the fact that he's antisocial and he doesn't really ask for a lot of help, which you know that about me. Like I oh, struggle yeah. so much to let people to not want to work alone all the time, but I love the fact that he's fascinated by like psychology too, due to the trauma of losing his parents. He wants to understand how a criminal could kill a 10 year old boy's parents, eight year old boy, sorry, his parents in front of him. And I think any remorse for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he's so obsessed with figuring out the psychology of all the other villains within the rogue gallery. And for me, like, I love the psychology of other people. And I, my favorite thing when meeting new people is figuring out like, what makes you tick? Like, why are you the way that you are? And Mm -hmm. so seeing that on screen was like really fun for me. And the way that he plays his double life, it makes me laugh because Bruce Wayne is like a mask for Batman in a lot of ways, but he's this like charming billionaire playboy that everyone seems to love. Whereas Batman is like this feared figure who is serious and stoic. And I remember one of my favorite scenes is in Batman, like the dark Knight, where the Joker gives Gotham an ultimatum where he's like, I'm going to kill this, this guy. I think he's a politician or I'm going to blow up a hospital every 60 minutes. And so commissioner Gordon and like the group of the other police rush this guy named Reese into like a convoy. And what ends up happening is Bruce crashes into, I think it was either the convoy or the people going after the convoy. And I remember commissioner Gordon sort of gets out of that vehicle and goes up and he's like, how did you know to hit us at this specific time? Like you, you know, like you just saved this guy's life. Right. And Bruce Wayne, he just looks really like really kind of shaken. And he's like, well, I just wanted to run the red light. I didn't want to wait. And just when he plays stupid, it's so funny to me. Cause you know, like he, Batman's really smart. So <laughs> it's just the irony of it all. No, definitely. I don't know too much about Batman because I remember we were trying to watch the Kristen Christian Bale Batman movies and uh, fell asleep. Yeah. Well, that was, we, we had gotten back somewhere really late and we fell asleep. It wasn't because I thought it was boring. I promise they're still on my list to watch. And I also, because I know that Batman is such a complex character, don't want to watch Robert Pattinson become Batman. Mm. So that's a whole nother story that I will not get into here. Oh, okay. (laughs) But no, I agree. I just don't know enough about Batman to, like, speak to that Mm. because I haven't seen those movies, you know? So, I don't know. Maybe Robert Pattinson will do good. Maybe he won't. But anyway, um, because you talked about your childhood hero, I'm going to go on a very brief rant about my childhood hero and then go who the heroes I picked for this episode are. I'm obviously a big Harry Potter person. Everybody who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that. So I guess my favorite male hero to a fault when I was little was Harry Potter. And I say that because I've read Harry Potter 13 times. And um, I always identified with Harry and just how he was so misunderstood as a child and basically felt like nobody wanted anything to do with him. And then he was put in a place 
or he had to suddenly learn to adapt to what he was. And for those of you who listened to an episode that I had up a long time ago with my disability, it was always like, okay, I have to kind of adapt and be like not what's expected of me and prove people wrong. And that's kind of what Harry has to do. And like, in Snape's case, like, he obviously shits on Harry all the time, and he's like, I'm not going to be like my father, I'm not going to be like this, I'm going to be the one that everybody wants me to be, and, like, live up to the standard, and so I really admire that, and then just the unconditional love he has for the people that have protected him, I think that he's a very admirable hero, I think he's really stupid, (laughs) and that he wouldn't have survived without Hermione Granger, Yeah, and she's not on my female heroes list, because she's not a technical hero I guess and like the sense of like a main protagonist but Hermione Granger gets honorable mention because without her Harry would be dead anyway my favorite heroes that I picked for the purpose of the episode were actually a tie between Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers so Captain America and Iron Man and again if you guys know me you know that these are two very very important men in my life um sorry Reed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh god her sevens will always be more important anyway no i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. cut the cameras dead ass i would have originally like had you asked me a year or two ago, no a few years ago would have said that captain america was my only favorite like male hero in the mcu and that's not only because i'm in love with chris evans but um just Steve has always been kind and gentle and just pure to a fault. He never wanted to cause violence. He always just wanted to do the good, do the best for the country and its people and for his team. And he was willing to lay his life down on the line, regardless of cost. And that's something I've always really admired about Steve. Like, even from the first Avenger, he was like, I will get injected with the super serum just because I want to be able to fight in this war. And just because I want to be able to protect my country just like Bucky is, just like everybody I know is, and I don't want to be the scrawny little kid anymore. But he didn't use that power for the wrong reasons. And even in Endgame, when he lifted Mjolnir, he knew that he could lift Mjolnir before Endgame. Mm. I think I read that somewhere, or I heard that from the, the Russo brothers or something, that he knew in Age of Ultron, when they were all doing the, like, lift the hammer on yeah. the ice thing, like, he knew, and that's why it moved when Thor, like, and Thor was like, oh, sh-, and then he was <laughs> pretending, like, to not hurt Thor's ego. Right, and he, like, knew that he could lift it, but he never u- utilized that power until it was absolutely necessary, mm-hmm. and that's something I really admire, because once you know you can lift a hammer like that, wouldn't you want to use it all the time? I just think that he was just incredibly pure, but come... Uh, Civil War time before I was a little late to the Marvel train. I should say that now. I did love the movies from what I had seen of them, but I didn't watch them in order. I didn't go see them in theaters because I was like a little young and my parents weren't into it and they didn't want to take me to the movies for it because they didn't care. But like when I wanted to go see Captain Marvel and Endgame, Madison is the one that told me you should watch the other films before seeing everything. So when I watched Civil War, I went into it thinking I'm going to be team Cap. Because Steve always has the best interest at heart of everyone involved. And there just should be nothing wrong. But when you get into Civil War, you realize that a lot of Steve's logic is kind of flawed. He does have, I guess, the conventional moral sense of I need to help my friend and be loyal to my friend and make sure 
that me and my friends can fight for our rights because we're forgetting that he fought in a war where a lot of people didn't have those same rights. Mm. And so he's very much for that, which is something you still admire. However, the way he handled Tony's parents' deaths and knowing that Bucky was behind it and still being adamant that, like, um, that Tony was in the wrong, I think that's incredibly stupid. And so I think I kind of started to see where Tony started to come out of his shell because that was the first time I'd ever seen Tony Stark be vulnerable. Madison and I were talking about that before the episode started, and Mm -hmm. we said that, like, he started to kind of feel badly because he had heard from the woman at the beginning of the movie, like, oh, I lost my son in Sokovia and you were there and it's your fault. Yeah. So he, when it came to the Accords, was very much like, okay, I feel so guilty and I don't want this to happen to any other people. So we are going to do what we're told. And that's not something that Tony typically does. He never does what he's told. He never is one to back down from a fight. And like, I guess at first glance, if you're not really paying attention, you're kind of like, well, I lose respect for you, but it's actually the opposite. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about their arcs that I found interesting is Steve goes from someone who wants to serve the government and who wants to be the good soldier. But then slowly over time, he realizes, hey, the government is corrupt internally because he's seen all the things that like Hydra has done. So I'm not going to serve the government. I'm going to serve the people, as Sabrina said. So he goes from someone who was the complete opposite of Tony and becomes more Tony-like because he realizes like the government's control isn't exactly the best for the Avengers. And then Tony, his character arc was more where he was kind of like Steve at the end, where he really wanted the freedom away from the government. And then slowly over time, he realizes, hey, I need to have some accountability for a lot of my actions and I need to become the good soldier. And so I think that confliction between them has been interesting. And I think both sides, as you said, are pretty much like correct. But I I don't know exactly where I stand with Civil War, but I agree with you. I think um, Bucky should have had some accountability for what he did, even though, you know, he was being controlled by Hydra. Right. And it's because at that point, it's like Steve has the morality to, like, help his friend, but also isn't Tony his friend by this point? They've been on a team together for years now. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if you're always wanting to stand up for the people in your life, well, then why aren't you standing up for everyone and not just Bucky? Yeah, exactly. And I actually had a hero sort of related to that. I love Black Panther mm-hmm. um, yep. because he realized Tony's vengeance to try to kill Bucky. Like the entire Civil War movie, I should preface this by saying this, is him having his father die and wanting vengeance for his father. And so he's going after Bucky, the majority of Civil War, because he thinks vengeance means justice. And then he sees that this vengeance is like tearing the Avengers apart and that they're going at each other's throats because Tony wants to avenge his parents, but Steve doesn't believe that that's happening. And so he goes out um, after he realizes that Bucky isn't responsible to Zemo. And he's like, wow, you got them to tear each other apart because of this vengeance. I realize vengeance does not mean justice for me. And so I'm going to try to keep you alive instead of killing you. And T'Challa, he's my favorite hero because his moral code is so strong and he's willing to put aside his own feelings to try to pursue what's right. People say like, In Civil War, T'Challa is a completely different person, which I kind of disagree with. I think in Black Panther, he is a lot more developed. Because when he sees 
Killmonger doing all these terrible things, like getting rid of the plant, literally killing T'Challa and trying to take over Wakanda. Instead of trying to lock him up, his my, his mentality is, hey, this guy might be right. We maybe should share a lot of our resources with the rest of the world, particularly with people who look like us that are being oppressed. And he even tries to help Killmonger towards the end of the scene where he's like, hey, we could put you in a cell. We could try to help you figure out what's going on here. Like, we don't have to do this. And, you know, there's that iconic line that Killmonger says where he's like, I would rather um, die like my ancestors than, I'm paraphrasing, than, you know, be locked in chains. And I think that's sort of a testament to Black Panther's character because he's so willing to put aside a lot of his own benefit um, in order to secure true justice. Because when it comes to Killmonger and, and Black Panther, the movie itself, he's sort of realizing that, oh, my father wasn't exactly like this great king. And a lot of the things that he did back in the gr- back in the day have these consequences that I now have to deal with. So maybe he's not, you know, that great of a person. And so he's willing to sort of realize hey, someone I loved was wrong and I'm going to try to fix that and pursue true justice. No, I definitely think Black Panther has a very, very strong moral code. And I think he's always, he always means to do right by his people and right by his family. Yeah. And his up, and his like rise is Black Panther. I know the suit, from what I understand, is passed down through the family, mm-hmm. through the men in the family, right? I think. Well, anyone can really challenge it. I've read a few Black Panther comics, but um, as long as you challenge that person, I think on a particular day, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think it's passed down through the men. I think you can. still acquire that power it's more about strength okay yeah and i think the whole reason he rises as the black panther is because of his father's death yeah and he has no ill will against i don't even think he's plotting to from what i remember kill any of the avengers he just wants the justice Mm -hmm. from the winter soldier who he doesn't know really had no recollection of it and i think once he sees that backs off of it and realizes that his father wouldn't want all this violence and yeah he has this very he's has very strong family values as well as just a strong bond with his people and with like you said villains and just he wants to help everybody and be the best that he can be for everyone yeah and so he's a really admirable hero because he doesn't really have a fatal flaw as they say Unless it is, I guess, being willing to give everything up for what's right. This, yeah, for the sake yeah. of what's right. Which that isn't even necessarily a fatal flaw. Yeah. Do you have another hero or do you want me to? I have two more heroes, but I think I'll do more of an honorable mention sort of thing. So if we don't overload this episode. Martian Manhunter. I love him. And Heimdall is an honorable mention, but... Are we moving on to anti-heroes now? Yeah, we can move on to anti-heroes. So I guess the first... I have two. The first male anti-hero I want to bring up is um, naturally another Harry Potter character. Severus Snape. 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 Severus Snape. Dumbledore. Snape. Snape. Severus Snape. But yeah, Snape is... um. Kind of your classic anti-hero, but I fucking hate him. This isn't a Snape love post. I want to make it clear to all the Snape stands out there, I disagree with you. You are wrong. Literally, there is no universe in which you people are right, so don't you dare argue with me. Oh, God. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and I here am I here I am to explain why. Now, Snape isn't inherently evil because he is trying to protect Harry, even if for his own sick and twisted reasons. Like, in every movie, we do see him trying to protect Harry Potter. Like, in Sorcerer's Stone, he stops Quirrell from making Harry's broom chuck him off. Quirrell? <laughs> yeah, Quirrell. Oh, I thought it was Quirrell. It, it is. You can say it either way. Okay. Like, <laughs> he calls himself Professor Quirrell. Oh. Anyway, Snape is a f- <laughs> that that's all I gotta say. But no, that's really not all I have to say. Because here's the thing, is he constantly is saving Harry, yes. And he does make the unbreakable vow with Narcissa Malfoy in order to protect Draco. So morally, he is doing what's right, I guess, by his students, but he's not doing it for the correct moral reasons. He judges Dumbledore for using Harry as a pig for slaughter. But to be fucking honest, if it were up to James, Harry would... James. If it were up to Snape, Harry would be dead. He wanted James dead. He didn't even give a damn about James and Harry. He All he wanted was for Voldemort to spare Lily. And he had made a deal with Voldemort saying, please, spare the woman I love. And just Voldemort mocks him and says, wow, you're really that self-centered that you don't want... Um, me to save her son and her husband. Mm. And he goes, no, I don't care. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'll spare her. But that's the only one I'll spare. And then Dumbledore is like, are you shitting me? Like, how could you even say that? And he's like, he's like, I, I, please just protect them all. Like, protect them all from him. I know he's going after them. And he doesn't make the deal with Voldemort. He asks Voldemort to spare Lily. And they make that deal. But then he goes... To Dumbledore and says, please, protect her. And he goes, what the fuck do you mean, protect her? Like, why wouldn't her husband and son be protected? And he goes, fine, fine, protect them all. But he doesn't really care. Like, the most vivid depiction we see in the movie, and I've read the books, again, 13 times, but I'm using the movie because it was just that scene where I knew, like, it was very well illustrated that Snape didn't give a rat's ass. Like, it had been alluded to in the films before, where he was like, your father was swine, all he did was this, and he was arrogant and a prick. But no, during this moment, it was when Harry watched his parents get murdered at Godric's Hollow. And Snape enters the house to find, kind of find Lily and see if she's okay. And the first body he passes is James, since James died first and on the lower level of the house. And he walks over James's dead body. He doesn't even care. And for all of you who are saying, oh, but Snape was bullied and James bullied him and James is the real villain. No, fuck you. Because listen, James was a bully as a teenager. A lot of teenage boys are stupid. I'm sure a lot of you know that in your daily lives. Hell, I'm in college. Frat boys are James Potter. James is fucked up, but that doesn't mean he deserves to die. James is fu- James was fucked up as a teenager. Yeah, but he's by seventeen have accountability for that. Yeah, but no, he and he does take, and I think he does take accountability for that because it has to be enough where Lily was agreeing agreeing to go out with him. Like, yes, they said <coughs> they said in um, Order of the Phoenix when Harry goes into the fire Grimlet place to like, go talk to Sirius and remiss about it. They said like, oh, he never passed up an opportunity to hex Snape, but that's because Snape always was after his neck, and so. Other than that, he did take full accountability with Lily, and he said, like, I'm not going to be this guy anymore, but if he comes after me, like, I'm going to do what I got to do. And he ended his bullying habits 
upon graduating Hogwarts. He became a man, he got married, and he had a child. And he would do anything to protect that child and his friends. And James Potter also went and became an animagus illegally for his best friend who was a werewolf and suffering. Now, Severus Snape, on the other hand, became a Death Eater because the girl he loved so much didn't love him back. Hmm. He may have been dark and twisted and, like, misunderstood, but he took that and he joined the Death Eaters upon graduating Hogwarts. He would still be a Death Eater had Lily lived. Hmm. Had Voldemort not even... Had Voldemort gone after the Longbottoms like he could have done... Snape would still be a Death Eater. He would have never taken a job at Hogwarts. He would have never agreed to help Dumbledore protect Harry. He wouldn't give a shit. Because all he sees when he looks at Harry is... (coughs) He looks like James, my best friend, the love of my life, chose him, and not me. And it's only when he's dying does he look Harry in the eyes and say, Wow, you have your mother's eyes. And it's proven that, like, he supposedly did all this for Harry. That his moral compass is so fucked up that no, he didn't. He did it, one, to keep himself alive, and two, because he felt so fucking guilty on account of Lily that he knew he had to do it or she would never forgive him. He was hoping for some, like, shred of forgiveness, I suppose, when he reached the afterlife. And even though that's never said, that's very obvious that that's what it was. Mm. And it's just ridiculous that people are like, oh, Snape is like the classic hero. And don't even get me started on Harry naming his son after Snape. <laughs> like, Albus Severus Potter, are you kidding me? A man that raised you like a chicken in a coop and fucking Severus Snape? Does Remus Rubius Potter mean nothing to you? Like, Harry Potter like, Hagrid helped raise you. True. You were like his son. Hagrid and, deserves better. And Remus was your father's other best friend. And granted, I've seen some fanfic that says that Harry wanted Remus to be left as a name for Teddy, which is Remus's son to use. Mm. And so I understand that, but like, come on, Arthur, Arthur Weasley was like a father to you. Where is his recognition? Ginny has family too, Harry. Mm. True. Like it's Lily Luna Potter when Luna was probably Jenny's idea because they were best friends. Mm. And then there's James Sirius Potter and then Albus Severus. Like Harry, these kids have like, 90% 90% names from your family. Selfishness. And I just, Harry Potter is selfish. Anyway, Severus Snape can suck a dick. And he is one of, like, but he's such a complex anti-hero because he has that messed up, messed up backstory. And, like, I guess that's why I picked him. But, yeah, that was a Severus Snape hate rant. I just want to make that entirely clear. <laughs> now, my other favorite male anti-hero, number one is sexy as fuck. Yeah. Number two. number two he's just like he's a fun anti-hero and vampire diaries fans i'm talking about mr damon salvatore oh Uh, ian salvatore i love him my my sarcastic sweet sexy man anyway he (laughs) is literally like he's portrayed as the definition of a monster at the beginning of the show like he kills for fun but then he, ha- and he, like, has the most fucked up moral compass there is. Like, I'm going to give Stefan an eternity of misery because he made me turn into a vampire. Like, oh, yes, Damon, that's logical. Spend a millennium torturing your only family. Perfect. Um, <laughs> anyway. a great idea. So perfect. We stand, Damon. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God. Um, no, I mean, 
I think Damon's just so fun because, like, his morals are clearly there. Especially where Elena's concerned. He wants to keep her safe and he knows the right thing to do, despite her being in love with Stefan in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is very, like, very much keep her alive, both for my sake and for Stefan. Damon has very selfish reasons for wanting Elena to be alive because he's fallen in love with her. But also, at the same time, the way he goes about keeping her alive, like, Elena will make one choice and say, okay, no, I need to do this even if it may kill me because it's going to save everyone I love. And Damon's like, yeah, fuck that. You're not allowed to leave the house. Let me go and um, make this decision. So, for example, my boyfriend and I are re-watching the series right now. I've seen it once. He wants to watch it now because I asked him to. And he's actually really enjoying it. So we're at the um, episodes where Klaus is about to perform. Don't miss Shop, Play, Win Monopoly at Safeway. You could win free groceries for a week, month, or a year. Every ticket wins an offer, a prize, or tokens for sweepstakes. Just scan your tickets in the Shop, Play, Win app and see what you want. And be sure to play the digital game with over 100 million in prizes. Download the Shop, Play, Win app to play today. No purchase necessary. See rules at www.shopplaywin.com. Hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. Sacrifice for the sun and the moon first. And so... Um, Elena pulls the dagger out of Elijah's heart and she wants to strike up a deal with him and Damon and Stefan are both like what are you doing and then she's like well this is my decision and Stefan's like alright well I'm gonna let you go and Damon is like no fuck no I'm gonna throw a wrench in Klaus's whole plan and so he goes behind Klaus's back and like rescues the other people he needs for like the sacrifice or whatever and basically just takes away Elena's freedom to like show Elijah that she's being truthful as well as Elena has to die in this sacrifice. For those of you who've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Elena has to die in order for this curse to be broken on Klaus. And it won't work if she's a vampire. And so the last thing Elena wants is to become a vampire. But what Damon does, how you become a vampire in Vampire Diaries is you drink the blood of a vampire and then you die with it in your system. Mm. So... Um, so she's gonna die that night. They've all basically said, okay. So Damon's, like, not having it, and he feeds Elena his blood. Which is, like, the sickest taking away of choice that there is. And, like, but in his own f***ed up way, he means well. Hmm. He doesn't want her to die, because they, like, they supposedly have a method of bringing her back to life that they truly don't know that it's going to work. Hmm. And so he doesn't want her to die. So, like, all the decisions he makes on her behalf are meant to keep her safe, and it is what he thinks is best. And it's a little toxic, but he really does mean well, and he's a really good anti-hero, because at the end of the day, his moral compass is there, it's just very skewed, and it's always meant to be in the right place. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I feel about my anti-hero. Jason Todd, I've already talked about... Wait, no! The Fictional Crushes episode is gone. So I can't... Ah, I have to do this for a third time. Okay. 
<laughs> so for those of you who don't know about Jason Todd, Jason Todd is the second Robin. Basically what happens is Nightwing doesn't want to live in Batman's shadow anymore. So he decides to leave because he doesn't want to take up the mantle and turn into who Batman has become. So he, Batman, after uh, Robin leaves, decides sees this kid who tries to like take his tires for money and decides to sort of have him become Robin in um, Dick Grayson's place. And Jason Todd has a lot of potential, um, but his problem is he's very troubled by um, what's happened on the streets because Jason Todd, his parents, his mom was a drug addict. His father was in prison because his father was doing some shady and, um, Jason Todd basically had to sort of fend for his family and become the man of the house. So he understands how Gotham functions. He understands that the justice system isn't necessarily going to give people the justice that they deserve. And so he sort of grows up as Robin as this very angry figure who has a completely different moral compass than Batman does. Um, because his thought is, if I kill the criminal, then no one else will have to suffer the consequences of losing someone that they love. Whereas Batman has that no-kill rule because he's actually lost his parents to criminals and believes, like, if you kill, you're no different than they're going to be. So he creates this interesting contrast with Batman where they have this dynamic of whose moral code is right. Like what is justice um, as a universal concept? And I think that 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 foil behavior there just makes it interesting because Batman sort of has to explain where he's coming from and has to try to fend off other claims of what people say about like, well, if you kill this guy, right, like it's going to end the cycle. Um, so I think that that's interesting too about them. And the fact that Jason Todd is so rebellious against Batman that he's willing to do things that Batman is against. Like Jason Todd wields guns and Batman tries to avoid firearms because that's the thing that took his parents away from him. Um, things like that is very interesting to me, but I feel like I've always loved him because I can relate to the anger that Jason Todd felt towards authority. Um, just the fact that like, you don't know what's best for me and you are trying to tell me something that I don't necessarily understand or agree with is something that I've sort of felt a lot of my life. And um, I don't know, I've just sort of had this very, I just feel very sympathetic towards Jason Todd, I guess I should say, and kind of protective over him too, because I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've had like a crush me. on his character for a while. <laughs> Mood? That's your forever yeah. crush. He'll never die. He's kind of died off. We're going to get into that with the villains, but... Um, okay. I also wanted to mention, too, I like the fact that anti-heroes in general... I just wanted to say this. Yeah. Like their amoral makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, like, that's why I like Damon a lot. He's a lot more interesting of a character than Stefan, as much as I do love Stefan's character. Because he has fun through his immorality. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> he, he's yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Like, it makes him sarcastic. It gives him personality where it's like, I know this is a up way to go about doing the right thing that it's doing the right thing mm -hmm. just like not in a way that most other people would do it mm. and that's what i really like about damon so i think they are definitely more fun yeah that's the same with jason too yeah so i mean i think we can agree that anti-heroes are probably our favorite out of the three tropes we're exploring today yeah yeah although villains are growing <laughs> i have we're gonna get into that villains are really growing on me i think the only one I can really think of off the top of my head that I think is super complex is Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Mm. 
because the way that they did it, I don't remember what disorder that he had. Yeah. They had, they gave him a disorder on purpose, and that's something I don't like that I'm going to get into. Yeah. Well, I don't think either. the original, I don't think the original Joker story was he had a mental illness of some sort, right? Or a mental disorder. His original story, based in, on the killing joke, um, I don't think the killing joke is classified as canon, but I, I can't remember. Editing Madison here, it wasn't intended to be canon, but it was eventually adopted into the mainstream DC story arcs. But basically, to try to condense what I was saying in the podcast, the Joker was a failed comedian who was trying to provide for a pregnant wife. These men sort of end up approaching him one night and saying, hey, we know a way to make good money, but it's illegal. Um, and he tries to back out. But what eventually happens is his wife dies and he realizes I have nothing left to lose. So why don't I go ahead and do this? And long story short, he ends up falling into the chemical pit most uh, interpretations are linking that to the Batman and saying that it's the Batman's fault, but his story does not revolve around mental illness. It's more so about how a normal person can be driven insane by what happens with societal pressures. So I think that the fact that they gave him mental disorder was not something that I enjoyed about it, but I do like kind of the descent into madness that's shown with it. Yeah. If you were removed the like disorder aspect from that and just left it as this is how he descended into madness and like kind of took out all the bullying and stuff too. Cause I feel like using that as an excuse to be evil, it's like, it's kind of going against the whole school shooter thing where it's like, oh, well, they were bullied. So, like, it's obvious that they would do something. Not everybody who's bullied picks up a gun and shoots up school. Yeah. And I don't think that that's... I think that the Joker being like, oh, he was bullied and that's what caused him to descend into madness. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that clear because I don't think that's the right way to go about that. Mm-hmm. But I think if they just kept it as his descent into madness... I think the adoption thing, when he found out that he was adopted... Yeah... I think that should have been what triggered it. I think it should have started with him, like, taking care of his mother and kind of being like, all right, well, work sucks. And now I have to go home and take care of my mom. I'm just so worried about her. And then she gets checked into a mental hospital. And then he finds the adoption records and that starts to drive him insane. Yeah. And, like, finding out about his past would have been a much better way to, like, portray that than having him be bullied and bullied and uh, having a mental ill is not the right term but like having a mental disorder yeah and i agree with you there because a lot of crime is actually caused by low socioeconomic status um it's a lot of the times what really happens to people yeah extreme stress and just underneath circumstances where like the world isn't providing for you and so you feel like in order to survive you need to do these things mm-hmm. that are considered breaking the law or immoral right um so, yeah, I agree with you there. I feel like that would have been a bit more realistic to show his descent into madness. Right. Like, it could have been, like, him finding out the information and getting on the train and being really pissed off. And then those guys coming at him, and then he goes insane. Yeah. And, like, kills them. And then he's like, who am I? And then he just slowly descends. I think that would have been better. But I do like the way Joaquin Phoenix portrayed the descent into madness. Because it started out very light and him just wanting, you know, companionship and everything. And then... It's just getting worse with his mother being, I believe she was verbally abusive in the film too, where she was like, you are terrible, you're a piece of shit. And then him was having she physically abusive too. She was. Okay. She was. And I think that having that 
and then like the girl across the hall that he was hopeful for and then seeing everything kind of crumble down around him when he finally had had enough at work. I think it was right after he like he was let go that he brutally like stabbed those people yeah. on the butt on the train. Yeah. And I think that that was interesting and then how he slowly descended into and then you see by the end of the movie when his two old co-workers come into the apartment and he stabs one to death and lets the other one go. <laughs> and then you see him go on the show, More, like the talk yeah. show. And goes, oh. Yeah, and then he was just like going off on like this rampage where you see like, oh, he's really and he's in the full Joker face and makeup and hair and he's really ready to just go. And I think you see with the chaos in the city, he's just dancing through it. Yeah. Like this is exactly what he wanted for everybody to feel like he feels. Hmm. And I think it was very poetic in a way because you see very deeply into the Joker's mindset. Yep. And what's kind of driven him mad. Mm-hmm. And like made basically the methods behind the madness. Yeah. And then I think that, that it was just so beautiful that I think he's one of my favorite villains for the way that he portrayed that madness. But I think being under the guise of a mental illness does not help his case. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, And that's not the fault of him. I think that's the fault of writing. Yeah. And I, as a writer, as a screenwriter, can say that. That is purely the fault of writing. There's really nothing that can justify portraying someone with a mental illness in a way that, oh, of course they're going to go mad because they're mentally ill. And I also thought it was very demeaning that he carried around a card with him. Do you remember? He had, like, the index yeah. card being, like, ignore me, I have, like, a laughing disorder. Or, like, an, like an, a mental disorder. Hmm. And I don't think that that's okay either. I don't know. That part didn't sit well with me. So this isn't really a portrayal of how he's my favorite villain. But I think also that the um, Heath Ledger Joker is a much better portrayal of a villain. Because I, again, we fell asleep during these movies. But I've seen them all the way through. Just But I remember, eye. like, the image at the beginning when they're, like, I think robbing a bank. Mm. And then he has them around the table. I can't remember what he's talking about, but he's like, okay, kill these two. Like, sitting at the end of the table. And people drag him out. Or drag them out. Oh, yeah, he does, like, the, saying. you want to see a magic trick, and then he has the pencil, and then yeah. he's, like, puts it in his head. <laughs> the reason they're also, that the Joker's also my favorite villain is the length to the to which the people who play the Joker have gone to get into that headspace. Mm. Like, Heath Ledger, that role is ultimately what killed him. That's what people say, is, like, that's ultimately what ended up killing him in the end. Hmm. Is like that was the that it was kind of like paved the path, and I could be wrong. I feel like I did read that somewhere though, but like I think it was like the Joker role paved the path paved the path to like his death. I don't know how true that is because I don't have a lot of knowledge of acting, but I believe you. But he like I think he basically locked himself, and for whoever has the exact correct information that I forgot to look up yet again. Um, you can always do like a re-recording to and insert that into here. But I'm going to double check this, but I believe that I read that Heath Ledger locked himself in a hotel room hmm. for a month or two or maybe six weeks. But like, I think a month or two max, just learning and studying the Joker and studying what would make him tick hmm. and trying to really get himself in the headspace of being deprived of 
sanity, sanity and human interaction. And he did it beautifully. And I think Joaquin Phoenix lost like a crap ton of weight. Oh God, yeah, that become scene the Joker. where he's dancing in his underwear just makes me. Oh, it's skin and bones, and it terrifies the absolute crap out of me. Yeah. And I think the lengths to which people go to portray the Joker is also what makes him such a poetic villain, because he is so deranged. Mm -hmm. He has not one shred of remorse. Interestingly, he also has something called, like, super sanity, where he's aware that he's a comic book character. And I think that adds, like, a whole other layer of complexity to Mm -hmm. him, because he realizes, well, I'm a comic book character, and my purpose is to be a villain, and so I'm going to live up to that role and be the best person ever. I'm also interested in the dynamic that the Joker plays with the Batman. There's one comic book within within the new 52 story arcs called the death of the family, where all the bat family storylines basically converge and the Joker captures each member that's related to Batman and has basically tries to isolate them and turn them against Bruce. And there's a lot of interesting things that sort of happen within that comic book where the Batman finds a card related to the Joker within the cave. And so he was like, the Joker came in, but he hasn't done anything. And it's, Batman trying to figure out what the Joker's motivation is for kidnapping all of his family members. So what happens at the end is that the Joker ends up on some sort of ledge and Batman is kind of talking to him as he's hanging off of there. And Batman is saying things like, do you want to know who I really am? Do you want to really know what my secret identity is? And the Joker goes insane and is like, no, 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 I don't want to know who you are. And it gets to the point where the Joker lets go of the ledge to avoid knowing who Bruce Wayne is. And I think that's a testament to how much like the Joker just depends on a hero in the case and how much he wants to play that role as a foil to Batman's behavior because he just has a weird deranged relationship with Batman in general. Do you think that maybe that's because because Joker did kill Bruce Wayne's parents, right? No. No. No, that's right. No, he didn't. That's a that was one of the theories, but I don't think he did. It, it kind of go it's it's different from comic book to comic book. Okay. I mean because my thing is like, what if the reason he doesn't want to know Batman's identity too is like Maybe knowing would cause him some shred of remorse because then he'd be like tempted to like go in on his personal life when he's not acting as the Batman. Yeah, and the Joker's mentality is if I know who Bruce Wayne is, then the game isn't as fun anymore because then I see him as a human being rather than this legend of Batman. <laughs> but that's my, um, and that was the only villain I had that I came up with. I don't even want to talk about Voldemort, he's a shitty villain. <laughs> I have another Harry Potter villain for you all, but that's not in this episode. That's next week. Oh, is it Bellatrix? Oh, no. She's my favorite villain. She's my favorite. Well, it's not even, like, from a villain perspective. I mean, like, I'm talking about villains that are, like, hateable and why I like that they're so hateable. Mm -hmm. Then maybe I'll throw Bellatrix in there. But, like, no, Bellatrix is just fun. She's, like, the sick version of, like, you would be fun. Mm -hmm. Like... I look at Helena Bonham Carter and I can't think of her as anyone else. She played Bellatrix very beautifully. I My say. queen. There's also, for those of you who have TikTok, if you ever want to learn more about like um, Bellatrix and like the black family lineage of like Narcissa, Andromeda, and Bellatrix, there is a uh, TikToker 
whose at is at Kylo Squash. And um, she and her family actually are filming are filming like their own TikTok series called The Noble House of Black, mm. where she plays Narcissa Malfoy. Her cousin plays Andromeda and her sister plays Bellatrix. I might have that mixed up a little bit, but like it's really interesting and they're very, very good. Like they've done full on productions for this and it's awesome. So oh, like wow. if you ever want to learn more about Bell- Bellatrix, she's got her stuff down. I, I love her. Anyway, shame, shameless plug. Continue. Uh, <laughs> one of my villains. Um, I'll start off with something. Is that, that's all that you had? Yeah. Oh God. Okay. I'm wondering if I should sh- skip light Yagami and just get to the shameless, my shameful crush, which I mentioned like in the fictional crushes episode. This is what I'm nervous about. We like shame. <laughs> <laughs> but this is I talked about this but for those of you who haven't gotten the chance to see the episode I talked about how this villain in particular if you remember I had to stop watching the anime because I had such an intense attraction to this character mm-hmm. and for me like I've just felt very guilty about it for like the past few days because I'm like this person is vile and nasty and Terrible. yeah it, Exactly, but so I'm not going to name him by name, but I'm going to give the title that he goes by sometimes. The magician from Hunter Hunter is the person I'm talking about. And I know, I know he's messed up, okay? Obviously, if I had the choice of being attracted to his character, I wouldn't be because I understand the fact that a lot of the things that he does are completely unacceptable and there's no way that you can try to excuse his behavior in order to like him like a few people in the fandom try to do. But I feel like if I don't talk about it for personal mental health issues that are a bit too complex for this podcast, I feel like I need to talk about it in the very least on this episode. The first time you meet his character is during the hunter's exam. And if you don't know what the hunter's exam is, it's basically the series of tests that people have to accomplish in order to secure a hunter's license. And it's very rigorous. A few people can actually die from taking it, but at the end of the day, it comes with a lot of benefits like being able to travel from place to place without any restrictions, uh, earning a lot of money from the profession, and also killing with immunity. So Gone, who's the main character, decides to take the hunter's exam because his father left him, and he sort of wants to understand why the profession was more important than raising his son. He meets the villain there, and they are... Gone is automatically told, like, this guy is dangerous, you shouldn't be around to him. Um, He's killed a previous examiner, and that's why he's failed his exam, so stay away. Uh, And when I was hearing that, I automatically assumed, because he looks like the Joker, that he would be a similar character in that way. So I automatically wrote him off and thought, he's nothing important. I don't really have to worry about his character arc. But further down the series, you get to this part where, um, so 
Kurapika and Leorio are other parts of the hero dynamic and they sort of stumble upon him in the woods. And there are these other hunters that sort of are ganging up on the villain and trying to prevent him from getting his license. And so he starts using these very powerful abilities that Kurapika and Leorio don't really know about. Um, and you get to learn what that is later, but um, they're seeing him killing all of these people. And Kurapika is basically like, oh, we have to like run. Like this guy's like too dangerous to fight. But Leorio, being the idiot that he is, is like, huh, why don't I come in and try to fight this guy? Even though I just saw him kick ass, like, and I go, I'm gonna live. Yeah. <laughs> Leorio's stupid. Leorio reminds me of the love child of, like, Waluigi and Wario, but, like, that's- Oh, my God! <laughs> Literally, look up a picture of him. I'm not kidding. He looks oh, my like- God! He looks like the child. He's greedy like, uh, he's greedy like Wario is. Um, but he l- reminds me so much of Waluigi. That's what oh he looks my god! Like. He looks like Waluigi. Don't tell me he's not the love child of Luigi. Not Luigi. Waluigi and Wario. But anyway, oh my he's god. stupid. He decides to try to fight the villain, and the villain obviously beats the shit out of him. And Gon has to kind of step in to try to um, prevent the situation from escalating. But my thought is, he's gonna. The villain's gonna end up killing both of them, and. So, or someone else has to try to interfere to prevent fra- that from happening because he's portrayed as this bloodthirsty person. What ends up actually happening is the villain, after beating the sh- out of both of them, picks up Leorio, throws him over his shoulder, and is like, I'm going to try to help you finish this phase of the exam. And I was like, what the f***? Like, how, what do you gain from this? And just being like, oh, sh- I have to sort of open my notes again because I wrote you off as a psychopathic killer when you're actually more controlled. I don't know if the word controlled is appropriate to use here, but my problem is, which I sort of forgot to explain in this segment, I tend to view people as puzzles. As I said earlier, I like to figure out what makes people tick and how people work. And so when I saw him starting to do these things out of pure amusement, I kind of was a bit curious to figure out what his motive was and why he was doing what he was doing. But anyway, um, so that pattern sort of continues and you get to the third phase of the hunter's exam where, um, So you're kind of assigned at the beginning of the exam these badges with numbers on them, and that's kind of how you're referred to. So the goal of this phase is um, you earn six points, and how you get those six points is you either keep your own badge, which is worth three points, you can steal a badge from another person, which is worth one point, and then you're randomly assigned someone at the beginning of the round, and that's worth three points. And so going by like that dumb stroke of luck ends up with the villain's badge, and he... um, obviously trains and trains and trains and is eventually able to steal it from the villain. What happens is as Gone's running away, there's this hunter that has Gone's number that's assigned to him. And he um, basically intercepts Gone, hits him with like this dart that sort of paralyzes him and then takes both the villain's badge and Gone's badge and runs away. And so you're kind of sitting there thinking like, oh, he's like done for, like Gone's not going to finish the exam. But what happens is the villain like kills the hunter that interfered with Gone, drops his corpse next to Gone, and mind you, Gone's like 10 years old. So, (laughs) yeah, you're like, why do you like this person? Um, And gives him Gone's badge back and his own, the villain's badge back. I forgot to mention, too, Gone, after the villain returns the badges to him, tries to get the villain to take, like, both 
Gon's badge and the villain's badge back because he's in this vulnerable position and the villain has an obvious opportunity to do that. And the villain, <laughs> add child abuse to the list, punches Gon across the face and says, if you can punch me as hard as I just punched you, then I will take my badge back. But in the meantime, you kind of have to just deal with it. And so I was like, why he's do like you there's no benefit from that why are you doing that and so it just kind of made me more and more curious to try to understand like why his character was motivated the way that he mm-hmm. was and you eventually sort of figure out like the villain has this like sick twisted self-interest where he wants to like challenge the most powerful people ever um, and defeat them in some way. And so if he sees that there's any potential with those characters, um, what happens is that he will do anything to try to protect them and try to keep them developing along their path so that one day he can challenge them. And I've never seen a villain act in that way. I've never seen a villain who works with the hero because it's fun for them, not because they're forced to do that, um, and who is so protective over the hero that they would just do anything to make sure that they get to be the ones that defeat them. Um, And it just, he's very unpredictable with the amorality that he has because he's so self-serving and you know that changes from day to day you'd never really know what it is that he's going to do and what his motive is going to be and i think that's why he's so fascinated to me because usually characters and people in general are predictable and i can figure out who they are and what they're going to do but with him it's like i just i can't and that's why i'm so fascinated by him even though that's a messed up weird way to put it um that's where that comes from at least for me i'm a little alarmed by the dropping of a corpse next to a 10 year old there's more f-ed up stuff that i'm too scared to insert into the podcast i'm too scared to hear it um, i don't ever want to know but yeah that's my f-ed up fictional crush, crush. yeah <laughs> It's okay. I'm in love with Kai Parker, so. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm comfortable telling you this, but other people- I'm in love with a man who, like, serial murdered his entire family, so. All right, agents. We're going to end this episode uh, a little bit short. We're going to be talking about female heroes, villains, and anti-heroes next week. So please tune in if you're interested. Uh, leave a review, subscribe to all of the socials, and let us know who your favorite male heroes anti-heroes and villains are uh and yeah we love you and get the out configuring the bluetooth deciding who controls the music avoiding potholes remembering where you parked why are simple things sometimes so complicated thankfully with auto owners insurance getting the right coverage for your vehicle doesn't have to be one of them auto owners works with independent agents who live in your community and answer when you call so you can get back to more important things Like remembering if you're on the third or fourth level of the parking garage. That's simple human sense. Ask your independent agent if auto owners make sense for you. Hey guys, I'm Serafina and thanks for listening to SGP Radio. 
Stream our podcast and more across SGP radio platforms, including the Brandon Gerald Productions app for iOS and Android. Or you can visit www.bgpllcapp.com. Stream, download, listen, like, share, subscribe, repost, binge and enjoy this podcast and so much others like not your token black girl working gals guide black girl story time juice pro wrestling black guy wrestling and podcast about nothing we have so much more on our stations tell it for her noir and wrestling fans including SGP Radio Originals and our blogs. Enjoy. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto-Friendly Crunchy Bars. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Delicious and convenient, both their toasted almond and lemon almond flavors have two grams of net carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein, all in a satisfying crunch. Interested? Ratio Keto-Friendly Bars are now available in the granola bar aisle at Walmart. As a small business owner, you're redefining business as usual. From rethinking the way you work to reassessing your bandwidth, you're changing the way you do business. And at Cox Business, so are we. With flexible internet packages to get you back to business. Rethink. Reconnect. Reimagine. Get 50 megs of internet for only $70 per month for six months. No annual contract required. Ends 12-31-20 restrictions apply. Visit coxbusiness.com for details. All services subject to Cox Business General Terms. Don't miss Shop, Play, Win Monopoly at Safeway. You could win free groceries for a week, month, or a year. Every ticket wins an offer, a prize, or tokens for sweepstakes. Just scan your tickets in the Shop, Play, Win app and see what you want. And be sure to play the digital game with over 100 million in prizes. Download the Shop, Play, Win app to play today. No purchase necessary. See rules at www.shopplaywin.com. Hasbro is not a sponsor of this promotion. What you doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system. In the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealers. See dealer for details.